I'm John DiLiberto, and you're hearing the Echoes Podcast. This week, I've got two features for you, one with Flo and the other with the Moody Blues. Flo is a band with pianist Fiona Joy, guitarist Lawrence Blatt, trumpeter Jeff Oster, and Wyndham Hill Records founder and guitarist Will Ackerman. I talk to all of them. Then we take a flashback 50 to the third album by the Moody Blues, In Search of the Lost Chord. It's a seminal work of progressive rock. Before we get to that, I want to remind you that in order to bring you great interviews like this for free, we need your support. If you're listening to the Echoes podcast, you already know that you're listening to music outside the mainstream, music you don't find on commercial and even most public radio. For us to bring these new discoveries to you, we need your support. So go to our website at echoes.org and make a donation. And if you want to sponsor the podcast or the radio show, go to echoes.org as well and click the Support Echoes tab. And now, let's start with our interview with Flo. Flo is a band that's been called a New Age Supergroup. Australian pianist Fiona Joy, guitarist Lawrence Blatt, trumpet and flugelhorn player Jeff Oster, and guitarist Will Ackerman are all established artists in their own right with multiple albums out. And Will Ackerman is a true superstar as the founder of the legendary Wyndham Hill record label and a Grammy winner for one of his many acclaimed solo albums. Ackerman believes that in the glory days of Wyndham Hill Records, Flo would have been giant. The hardest thing for me is to think of what this record would have been to Wyndham Hill, you know, in a day when people were buying albums and buying CDs and the rest of it. I mean, there is no way on God's green earth that we could have kept the sales below 300,000, you know. Come on, this would have been absolutely huge. Members of Flow are all crammed into my hotel room in New Orleans on the afternoon before they would play at the ZMR Music Awards show where they would take home the Album of the Year honors. The group was originally going to be just Flow without Ackerman's W, but he was producing and one thing led to another. The musicians couldn't be more different. Classically trained, Fiona Joy works full-time on her neoclassical music career, while Lawrence Blatt has other concerns. I work on making treatments and vaccines for pretty serious chronic viral diseases like uh, hepatitis C and HIV uh, and other important diseases like that. And it's Dr. Lawrence Blatt to you. Like Blatt, Jeff Oster has another life, his as an investment counselor, but it's musically that he stands out in flow with the most diverse background. I played in big bands in LA, I used to do a lot of the rehearsal bands. I actually played with the Harry James band for a little while. I auditioned for Ray Charles and all this sort of big band stuff and, you know, funk music and, you know, and I listened to Will's music since. You know, 1979 when I lived up in Eugene, Oregon, and from 1979 until I met him in 2003, I would just sit in my house and play along with these Ackerman albums. Fiona Joy is classically trained. Guitarist Lawrence Blatt is also classically trained, but on violin. And Will Ackerman plays in the folk fingerstyle tradition. These influences and backgrounds converge in flow. 
Lawrence Blatt. We weren't really sure what the intent was of the album. I think we came together um, and we kind of organically built the music. And um, one of the things that we did uh, well was to hold back and play together as a group rather than uh, try to have anyone stand out as a soloist. Fiona Joy. We took on a new direction when we came together. We all sort of went in as, as solo artists and and took kind of basic tracks in. And then by the time we worked on it and worked together, we sort of ended up with something that was quite unique and it just happened very organically. Will Ackerman. Somehow or other, this actually turned into a synthesis. It really did. Um, and I, I kind of thought, okay, there are going to be these individual little duchies and somebody's going to come and, you know, put some fairy dust on it kind of deal. But no, they went into the DNA of these pieces and it changed. And all of our pieces changed, I think, considerably by the input of everybody. So it was really a remarkable thing. Because of that, the quartet shares writing credits on all the compositions, no matter who originated a track. song named after the band, Flow, is one of those tracks that emerged organically. Lawrence Blatt. Actually, we recorded that with Jeff Haynes playing live in the studio with me. I think what was really moving was uh, Will brought this counterbalance to it with the um, middle section where we all get pretty silent and Jeff's playing his horn and Will's playing this very reflective uh, part of it. And then Fiona came in with some beautiful vocals and beautiful piano playing. So uh, I think it really flowed, which is why we, we named it after the group. isn't a group that flashes its technique. Guitar Player Magazine called them sonically egalitarian. Producer and flow utility player Tom Eaton. You have these four people who are so established in their own thing and each, you know, you would never mistake, you know, one of their songs for, for another one of their songs on from their records, but, you know, by the time the record comes out, there's no star on the record. Yet, given that all the musicians are fans of Will Ackerman and he has produced solo albums by all of them, it's not surprising that some of the songs from Flo sound like they could have been on Ackerman albums from the 1980s. There's a characteristic sound to Ackerman's compositions that's driven by his approach to composing with open tunings. You sit there, you... Uh take the tuning down on the guitar to nothing and then bring it back up and when it hits a space, a sound that seems to be reflective of where I am in the moment, then I start creating it. And really, that's how it is. I mean, I think, I think every song I've ever done in my entire career has been a different tuning. There, there may have been some overlaps, 
Hawk Circle and Ansong are the only two pieces that share a tuning. So that's been my method always. Is and, and I've been mystified by that for years, but only recently I've come up with the understanding, which is basically by doing that, I've taken out all the intellect in the process. I have nothing but feeling to work with because I don't know where a G chord is. I don't know where a C is. I don't know, I don't know anything about it. So I'm finding my way in terra incognita, really. I'm, I'm trying to discover it. And again, at that point, the only thing I have is heart, not mind. That gets you to a piece like Night in Nocelli. There is breathing space in the music of flow in a sense that a song could go anywhere or just meander around in a pink Floydian mood. And none of the tracks does that more than Jeff Oster's Free Ascent. Because it's totally wide open, you know, and and has the ability to, to bring in almost what we want when we want, you know. And there's a little Will moment and there's the Tom Eaton pads and the bass, you know, sort of electronica kind of stuff that's going in. You know, I, that was one of the ones that I brought to the band. So there has the, you know, sort of the Oster, Spacey, Pink Floyd influence thing, you know. And I think it's one of the favorites to play live because we can really get in the zone, you know, and just, yeah, it's cool. As I mentioned at the top of the piece, some people have called Flo a New Age supergroup, but not Flo themselves. And it's not the New Age part they have a problem with. We get hear the, the, the New Age supergroup story. And in some ways, we don't necessarily own that. Because a lot of times when you think of a supergroup, it comes together once and it goes away and it's a one-off type of thing. And, and, and this really... It's turned into way more than just what it feels like to us than a, than a one-time kind of a, kind of a thing, you know. There's a lot of power in four separate artists together. It comes together in this really organic. You can call it a supergroup way, but it's a it's a whole new thing. But it leverages everybody's individual thing with something completely different, yet the same. Flo's self-titled debut is out now on LMB Music. Each musician has other projects going. Lawrence Blatt is curing diseases. Fiona Joy has released a solo album, Story of Ghosts. And Jeff Oster has a new album coming. Will Ackerman is touring in multiple configurations while producing many other artists. But the currents are still moving for Flo, who will tour in the fall. If you want to add Flo's debut album to your collection, go to our website at echoes.org. Links for it are right there. And now, in this special double feature podcast, a band who released a seminal album 50 years ago.
Today we're going to take a flashback 50 to a band I think influenced a lot of the music you hear on Echoes, the Moody Blues. Their album, In Search of the Lost Chord, was released 50 years ago on July 26, 1968, and it still sounds great today. It established them as one of the most important bands in psychedelic rock as well as presaging progressive rock. This is an album that came out after the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band and the Rolling Stones' Their Satanic Majesty's Request, and they took on some of that experimentation to create one of their best recordings. It's almost hard to believe that the group who recorded Nights in White Satin and Ride My Seesaw started out as a rhythm and blues group. But that's what they were playing in 1964. There's one song on their debut album that pointed to a new direction. Their powerful cover of an obscure R&B track called Go Now. We've already said That song was part of the Beatles' British Invasion and was a hit in 64 with Denny Lane doing the vocals. Another song by keyboardist Mike Pinder called Love and Beauty introduced the vocal harmonies and Mellotron sound that would be the group's trademark. Denny Lane quit the band just before their second and seminal 1967 album, Days of Future Past, replaced by John Lodge and Justin Hayward. By the time of the 1967 release of Days of Future Past, there was little R&B left in the Moody Blues. They created a symphonic rock sound that would go on to influence groups like Yes, Genesis, and King Crimson. With the success of Days of Future Past, the Moody Blues were given more room to experiment. 
and search the Lost Chord and drop the symphonic orchestra of Future Past, which I always thought sounded a bit schmaltzy, and they went for their own characteristic electric orchestral sound, mostly generated by the Mellotron. That's a keyboard instrument that played tapes of acoustic instruments from flutes to choirs. But they never quite sounded right, which is what made the Moody Blues and other groups like King Crimson and Genesis sound so otherworldly. In Search of the Lost Chord was a concept work exploring meditation, spirituality, LSD, and space travel. It begins with a spoken word segment from drummer Graham Edge, and that launches into one of the Moody Blues' hardest rocking songs, Ride My Seesaw. Like the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, the album shifts through many moods, like the whimsical Dr. Livingston, I presume. Dr. Livingston, I presume, stepping out of the jungle gloom into the midday sun. Then there was the trippy Legend of a Mind, an homage to LSD guru Timothy Leary. Although they segued many of the tracks together with clumsy fade-outs and fade-ins, the album held together as a true psychedelic journey. This was one of the earlier albums recorded on an 8-track tape recorder, and you can tell the difference in the depth and spaciousness of the sound. Throughout the album, the Moody Blues brought their diverse array of instrumentation to bear, from Mike Pinder's multiple keyboards to Ray Thomas's flutes and saxophones. In addition to multiple guitars, Justin Hayward also played sitar, tablas, and harpsichord. Members also picked up cello and auto harp. This was the Space Age, and the influence of NASA and Pink Floyd can be heard on songs like The Best Way to Travel, which could be a song about LSD, Transcendental Meditation, or Outer Space. By the end of the album, they find the lost chord, and it is... Oh. 
In Search of the Lost Chord, released on July 26, 1968, peaked at number 23 on the U.S. album charts and number 5 in the U.K. Ride My Seesaw only hit 61 on the Billboard Hot 100, but I remember it saved me on many long rides from Philadelphia to Maine with only an AM radio for my Volkswagen Beetle. Days of Future Past and In Search of the Lost Chord could be seen, along with the first albums by The Nice, as the first progressive rock recordings. They brought impeccable musicianship, beautiful harmony singing, and a compositional innovation to rock music. The Moody Blues, of course, continue right up to the present, recording many other albums, but In Search of the Lost Chord may be their high watermark. If you want to add the Moody Blues and Search of the Lost Chord to your collection, go to our website at echoes.org. The playlist to the July 26th episode will have links there for you. Next week on the Echoes podcast, it's a feature with flutist Sherry Finzer. She had a CD of the month a few years ago, and now she's become a focal point of an Arizona New Age music scene. We'll talk to Sherry, as well as Cass Anawati, who she works with in an electronic duo called Majestica, and Tom Moore, with whom she creates ambient space music. Tom Moore's career goes back to the 60s and a big hit record then. That's coming up next week. I'm John DiLiberto. Thanks for tuning in to the Echoes podcast. I'll see you next week, tonight, or online right now on Echoes.